Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I've got 1 Thessalonians open in chapter 2. I love this. It says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. I feel like that's almost a recurring theme here at Faith Radio. We love to share the gospel, and we love to share our lives with you. And thank you for sharing your lives with us. It means the world. Jeff Verdorn is my guest today. He said, let's do a series on 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. I think this is about episode 5, and we're in chapter 2 of 1st Thessalonians. Jeff, welcome. Hi, Bill. So, it's been a while. I think we've, with holidays and everything, we've been off for almost a month, so it's nice to be back in 1st Thessalonians, and it's probably wise to do a little recap of what we talked about previous. Sure. You just read a verse that we did a couple sessions ago, but last time we were discussing the verse towards the end of chapter two, where it says that Satan was blocking Paul's ways. And we got into a little discussion about this spiritual battle that we are in as Christians and knowing the devil's schemes. Paul says, know his schemes. And so we did a little summary of his schemes, that Satan lies, he tempts, and he torments. He lies, and he tempts, and he torments. And I I kind of grouped his schemes into those three categories. And then we talked about our spiritual battle. And Paul actually describes this spiritual battle in Ephesians chapter 6, where that's where he describes, you know, the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, and so on. And it's fascinating because throughout the New Testament, Paul actually uses military language a number of times in talking about this battle we are in. So he says, we are soldiers. Second Timothy 2 says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We carry weapons. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons we fight with in this battle are not the weapons of this world. This is a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. And Paul describes it as fighting the fight. So 1 Timothy 6 says, we fight the good fight of faith. And later in 2 Timothy, towards the end, and this is probably one of Paul's last writings, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so this idea of contending for the faith is really this battle what is it really about? It's, it's fighting for truth. So he says in Jude, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and all entrusted to, the, to God's holy people, Jude 1.3. So our contending is really for the truth of God. We defend God's word. We defend God's truth. That is contending for the faith. So when we fight, we're fighting for living by faith. Remember, God says the righteous shall live by faith. 
So we are defending God's truth. We are defending his way of living by faith. So when the legalists come or uh, the, the religiosity comes, we say, no, 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 no. We are going to live by faith. When, when false teaching comes along, when heresies come along, we say, no, 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 no. That's contrary to the truth of God. And we stand firm in his truth. Obviously, then the other part of this fight is fighting against the devil's schemes. So remember, he lies, he torments, and he tempts. So how do we fight lies? Well, we fight lies with the truth. We got to know the truth of God to counteract the lies. So critical, Jeff. It is. So critical. I I believe, I think I used this example because I usually do last time on the show, of the Secret Service when they enter in to the counterfeit division of the Secret Service, the Mm -hmm. first thing they do and the first thing they study is real currency. Everything about it, the paper, the ink, the security features that are on there. Because when you understand the real, it's easier to spot the counterfeit. Mm -hmm. It's the same with God's word. When Mm -hmm. we understand the real, the truth, God's ways, it's easier to see the world's counterfeits. Mm -hmm. I watched a video last night uh, of a guy teaching, and he was teaching really heresy, but he was doing it in a very clever, persuasive way. It's like, if you don't know the truth, you might have bought it. Yes. And so when you get those little red flags, when that antenna goes up, Mm -hmm. listen to those. I think it's the spirit saying, hey, wait a minute, check this out. Absolutely it is. And that when you hear a teaching, whether it's on the radio or from a pulpit or in an article or a book, whatever, be like the Bereans in Acts 17 where Paul says, now the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That's how we should be also. Yeah. Amen to that. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you just climbed into your car, uh, we are uh, going to be studying through First and Second Thessalonians. And uh, Jeff, do we have a little bit more review before we move on? Just a little. Okay. Yeah, just the, really quick, the last two schemes of the devil, temptation. Yep. Remember that no temptation comes except that is common to man. Um, but, uh, but also God promises that he will give you a way out and that you won't be tempted beyond what you can bear. Those are the promises of God. Those are really good promises, by the They're way. The best. And then there's torment. Now, torment is tough because like Paul, he said, endure hardship. Now, whether this is from the world, the fallen world, uh, you know, Satan and, and the enemies, uh, or whether it's just the fact that we have sickness and disease and and natural disasters in this world. Uh, so whether it comes from persecution or natural causes, uh, Paul says, endure hardship like a good soldier. It's tough out there. It is a tough battle out there. And Paul even says that he was tormented or persecuted beyond what he was even to bear or endure so that he even despaired for his own life. And so Paul suffered greatly. And I tell you, over the last 2,000 years, Christians have suffered at the hands of the world. Um, but we have a great promise, don't we, that that our light and momentary troubles, as God describes them, compared to all of eternity, are nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ as Lord. That though, like Paul says, we are persecuted but not abandoned, we may be struck down but not destroyed. In other words, Satan might even have the power to kill the believer, 
but we are never, ever destroyed because we are overcomers in Christ. We are more than conquerors. We have an inheritance. I've read the back of the book, Bill. We win. I love that. And nothing can touch your eternal inheritance in Christ Jesus. Yeah, Paul really didn't have the the celebrity lifestyle, did he? He really didn't. uh, He was at a point of despair, even for his own life. Yeah, and if you read his personal testimony in Corinthians— you know, he was in danger in the city, in danger in the com- country. He was flogged three times. He was stoned, shipwrecked, beaten. Um, man, his Starved life had everything. Everything. Yeah. And that was after becoming a Christian, right? Right. right. And we look at his in, his enduring uh, commitment and we go, that is so inspiring. And so that's why yeah. his words at the end of Second Timothy are so powerful. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And he says, now there is in store for me a crown. So when he, he was, he knew that when he got to heaven, as he says, it would be better by far. You don't have your best life now in this world. Your best life is your future life, your eternal life in glory. And we're going to actually talk about that a little today, later. Mm -hmm. I like that. All right. Let's, uh, I think we could probably take a break right now, a little bit early, but sure. Uh, we've done a nice job of sort of a recap and give us a little tease of what's ahead. So we're going to talk a little bit about continuing with the theme of spiritual battle. How do we view it and how do we fight it and by whose power? How do we view it and how do we fight it? Yes. And by whose power do we fight it? Yeah. So that's uh, that's very helpful. I'm looking forward to coming back from the break and hearing where you're going to take us with that. All right. All right. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We are here uh, talking about 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 2 today. And if you have uh, just joined us, Jeff is doing this as part of a series. We're going to get through both 1 and 2 Thessalonians. So we'll uh, take a short break and be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. All right, we're back studying 1 Thessalonians with Jeff Verdorn. We are in Chapter 2, if you have your Bibles open, and I hope you do. Also, it's always helpful to grab... Piece of paper and a pencil, that makes the difference between reading scripture, hearing about it, and getting uh, more of a comprehensive understanding of it when you write things down. Jeff was just talking about the ways in which Satan attacks, and he said lies, torments, and temptations. I did. So when I had not written that down, Jeff, (laughs) uh, I wouldn't have not been able to recall that because I first thought, was it lies, torments, and deceiving? Which is true as well, but it's not what you said. Yeah, you could use a lot of words like he looks to kill and to steal and destroy, but yes. I, 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 all these other descriptions I categorize into one of those three categories. So that's how I remember it and kind of sum it up. 
All right, let's talk about spiritual battle and who fights this battle. Well, this is the this is a great picture in scripture that although he's armed us and he's he's given us all this armor, it's his armor. He's put it on us uh, as Christians, as believers, the moment we're saved, we are fitted with this armor, but he will actually fight this battle for us. And I think this is such an important concept in the Old Testament. We actually see a number of battles in where God seemingly supernaturally fights these physical battles for the Israelites. One of them is one of my favorites, Exodus 14, that they are attacking, I'm sorry, Israel had just left Egypt and they're about to be destroyed by the Egyptian army that's coming after them to the Red Sea. They're cornered. And God says in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Very good. Good. Uh, that's it's, a memory verse of mine from a long time ago. And, you know, you think of those, them at the shore of the Red Sea and the armies behind him and the sea in front of them, and God had them exactly where he wanted them. Yeah. There is no hope. They had no chance of winning <laughs> any kind of physical battle, yeah. but God fought for them and they won. Yes. And another picture, another battle is in Second uh, Chronicles 20. It's Jehoshaphat. The armies start surrounding Jerusalem. Jehoshaphat as king knows that he's toast. This is done. He has no way to win this battle. And he seeks the Lord and the Lord says, Joe, God called him Joe. That was his kind of nickname for him. No, Mm -hmm. I'm kidding. Jehoshaphat. I know know you're kidding. Go up to a high hill and watch what happens. And you know what happens? All the armies that are going to attack Jerusalem turn on each other. And it says that every man slayed the other. And the armies were wiped out. And so God did it. He fought the battle for Jehoshaphat, a physical battle in the Old Testament. The walls of Jericho is another example. Walk around the city and watch the walls fall down and you'll get get a great victory. Uh, Gideon, if you remember Gideon's battle, he brought 22,000 men to the fight and God said, no, that's way too many. Let all those who are afraid go home. And then he's, and I think something like 10,000 left, if I recall. And then he does a weird test about if a man should drink, take a drink of water from the river as such and such, keep him. Well, that left 300 people to fight this army. And you know what? They blew their trumpets. They, they, they lit their torches and they, they broke their jars and the, the, the opposing army went fleeing. So with 300 people, God took this victory. Psalm 20 says, some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Mm. It's an odd moment when they're winnowing down the army. And it's either you're taking your hands and cupping and putting water in your cupped hands and bringing it to your mouth, or you're lapping, lapping like it a like dog a dog right. with your tongue in the water. And I think as if you used your hands, that was the 300, if I recall. I I think you're right. Yeah. And so someone's monitoring that. Oh, there's a lapper. No, he's out. (laughs) I know. That's exactly it. It's a strange test. And it seems random. It does seem random. But God wanted Gideon to take 300 men, not 22,000 men, so that he could show his power. That's awesome. Um, so that's that how passage. in all the all these miraculous victories in the in of physical battles in the Old Testament, I think they symbolize these miraculous victories that we have in our spiritual battles today. The Lord your God Himself will fight for you, Deuteronomy three says. So we are in this spiritual battle. Let God fight this spiritual battle. I think some Christians 
feel like they want to go out and fight this spiritual battle. Everything is a spiritual battle. And they want to go out and fight. That They, they almost seem to relish in the spiritual fights and, and the demonic, and they want to battle Satan and so on. And I read Ephesians chapter 6, which says, here's your armor, and, he, and, God, and Paul says in Ephesians 6, stand firm then. Stand firm in me. Stand firm in my truth. Stand firm in faith. Faith. I had I had a, an acquaintance once, and and she said that every night she commanded the angels of heaven to the four corners of each of her kids' beds. And I don't I don't know that we should be going around commanding the spirit world and commanding angels and so on. And I I, I kind of commented to her. I said, you know, my approach is that I pray to the commander of the army of the Lord. And I let him worry about the the details. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we let him delegate stuff. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. So this is now. Now I know demonic activity is real. Um, There are many people that I know have have encountered demonic activity, demonically possessed people, and they have used the authority and power of Jesus to cast them out and to free someone from some from demonic possession. And so I know that's real. But I don't think that's how we should go about our daily lives. I think our daily lives should be, I'm going to trust in God and let him fight these battles for me. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, what about James chapter 4, verse 7, that says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah, so there is, there's, you're not going to go chasing him. No. <laughs> you resist him, you resist his temptation. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the picture, all right, I've tried enough with this guy, I'm going to go get somebody else. You resist the temptation, and he will flee from you. Yeah, ignore him. Ignore him. Speak the name of Jesus out loud. There you go. Yeah. Now, I also like to point out, if we ever talk about spiritual battle and demonic activity and stuff, believers cannot be possessed by demons. Believers are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians says that you, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Demons, spiritual activity, the powers of the heavenly realms can torment us. They can oppress us, but they cannot possess the believer. So we know his schemes. Remember, he's a defeated foe. And remember that Christ is in you. You're filled with God's life, his presence, Christ's life. You're sealed with the spirit and nothing can touch you because you are God's possessions and you are victorious. Mm -hmm. Jeff, have you had what you would say that was uh, an encounter from Something from the kingdom of darkness. I have. I, um, my wife actually recognizes them often uh, more than I do. I was about to start a class one time, and I start a class about every semester at my church or other locations. And it's interesting because she has noticed every time a class is about to start, something is going on in my life. Well, it was about two years ago. I got a, I'd never have gotten vertigo in my life. And the day that I was going to start my class, I got a bad case of vertigo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a Christian um, medical uh, professional that I know that does chiropractics and some other things. And fortunately, my wife said, go to him today. And it's, he's wonderful. His name's Aaron. He's wonderful. And after every treatment, he always prays over his patients. He's mm-hmm. just an awesome guy. And I went to him. He did an adjustment on me, prayed over me, 
and specifically about this uh, that I was experiencing, and it was gone. And, uh, you know, I think something like that was a spiritual battle. It was a spiritual attack. Yeah, well, there's there's a target, you know, on your back if you are declaring the gospel and declaring the word of God. Uh, we pray for protection here at Faith Radio every day. You got to, you know, there is... Uh, there is a dark world out there, and the enemy is real. And uh, and yeah, yeah, you have to pray for God's protection. Is one of my most common prayers for my family and those around me, my loved ones. Is protection against yes. spiritual attack? Absolutely. Okay. So this is one more illustration because I I got a couple minutes before the end of the break. I love the David illustration because here's another physical battle in the Old Testament when David takes on Goliath. And we, we, we are often taught that we need to be like David and conquer our giants. But I'd like to point out that David is really a type of Christ. Christ is the one who fights the giant. Christ is the one who obtained the victory. And the giant in his case is death. Jesus conquered death. If we identify with anybody in that story, we're the cowering Israelites who benefited from David's defeat of the giant. Right. David is a type of Christ. Let him fight the battle. And in Christ, we're victorious. We're overcomers. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Nothing in all creation can separate us from his love. He always leads us in victorious procession. Um, I've read the back of the book. We win. We are victorious in Christ Jesus. And let me, can I read? I do have a couple minutes here. Yeah. There's a great song out that I just wanted to read some of the lyrics of this song. It's called You've Already Won by Shane and Shane. Listen to these words. This is so wonderful. I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. You're the one who saves. You're my savior, my defense. No more fear in life or death. I know how the story ends. We will be with you. You're my savior, my defense. No more fear, no more fear in life and death. I know how the story ends. No more fear in life or death. And then the chorus says, I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. Don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. Thank you, God. I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. He's already already won the victory. He's defeated Satan already. Satan is a defeated foe, and because he is victorious, we are victorious in him. Mm-hmm. That's a great lyrics. Isn't it? Great reminder, too. Have you heard that song? I can't say I have. If you would have sung it, I might have helped. But <laughs> Maybe if my son was here, he actually— He could have sung he it. He could have sung yeah. it. He's a worship leader. And He's got uh, some pipes. He does. I've He's, heard him sing. Yeah, he's a wonderful singer. Yeah. Where and he you? has sung this song. And I, oh, has he? Every time, you know, I'm kind of an, I love to teach on the end times. So to, to talk about this battle that he's already won and there's no more fear in life or death and that we're fighting a battle that he's already won. It's such a great message. That's yeah, fantastic. All right, we'll take a little break. It's not going to be very long and we'll come back and continue our study in First Thessalonians chapter 2. That's where we're at. And we're talking to Jeff Verdorn, who's our guest today. And if you have any questions or comments, The text line is open just for you, 
2484. Maybe you heard something in the first half hour you'd like to hear again or have a question or something you'd like clarify. That's all good. 877-933-2484. So glad to have Jeff Ferdorn in studio as we continue our study on First Thessalonians. We're all the way to the last two verses of chapter 2. Jeff, what do you say I, uh, I go ahead and read them? Read them, yeah. Read verse 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So, at the introduction of this study, one of the big themes that I mentioned was that we are going to see the rapture mentioned in every chapter of Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And so, this ending chapter 2, we have this reference to when he comes. Now, traditionally or at first glance, this when he comes kind of sounds like the second coming, rather than the rapture. And so we we asked this question when we wrapped up chapter 1 as well. When At the end of chapter 1, we saw that uh, uh, Paul writes, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, that phraseology, that at his coming, he's going to rescue us from the coming wrath, is is more easily seen as a rapture verse. And in fact, is more easily seen as a pre-tribulation rapture verse where Jesus pulls us out before the wrath of God is poured out upon the world. And if you study the events of the book of Revelation, all of the seven-year tribulation that is going to come upon the world is poured out by God. There's seven seal judgments, there's seven trumpet judgments, there's seven bowl judgments, and so the whole of the tribulation is God's wrath being poured out, culminating with the second coming, of course. And so first cha- the first chapter of Thessalonians, he says he's going to rescue us from that coming wrath. So I know this is all debated, but we can more easily see that that is a rapture verse. Here, it just says, when he comes. And so this is not mm, maybe quite as obvious as of a rapture passage. Now, in context of the whole book, we're going to see in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 that all those references are much more clearly a description of the future rapture of the church. But we're not there yet. So in this passage, I'm going to focus on a couple of words in in trying to figure out uh, the timing of this phrase, when he comes. So if you go back to that verse, it said that the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord when he comes. So there is this phraseology or this reference to both being in glory and having crowns. Well, when will we be in the presence of the Lord in glory? 
we will be in the glory in the presence of the Lord. This is key. This is the rapture. The rapture is resurrection day. This is the day that all who are in Christ, and we'll see this in chapter 4, this is our future resurrection day. So whether or not you are dead in Christ or are alive and remain, this is the language from 1 Thessalonians 4, you will be changed, you will be glorified. So this idea of a glorification comes from both this 1 Thessalonians 4 passage and 1 Corinthians 15 passage. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, we have to delve into this just a little bit because 1 Corinthians 15 is this wonderful uh, chapter on the resurrection of the body, the glorification of this body. It be, the Chapter 15 begins with the gospel, right? That Paul says that what I've received, I pass on to you of first import, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He was ris- raised again according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to many. The gospel, the central message of the gospel is Christ's resurrection, Christ's glorification. Paul then goes through a series of arguments in answering the Corinthians who who are basically worried about those who have already died and what's going to happen to them. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. The resurrection of Christ, if there was no resurrection of Christ, there would be no future resurrection. But because there was a resurrection of Christ, there is going to be a future resurrection. Because he says, if there's no resurrection of Christ, then we are all still dead in our sins and our faith is Mm. futile. Christianity hinges on the fundamental reality that Christ conquered death in the grave and rose again. That's where it pivots. That's where it pivots. Yeah. Without that, we got nothing. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so Paul then goes on to say that that central truth points to the reality that we too will be resurrected. Hmm. He then describes our bodies. Our body today is a natural body. Our future body is going to be this glorified body. Now, we all know this inherently, that we are all going to die physically. This body is, like God says, a vapor in the wind. It is wasting away. Paul describes it as a tent, this tent of our body. It's a temporary dwelling. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 calls this body perishable, but the resurrected body imperishable. He says our physical body is sown in dishonor. It's going to be raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's going to be raised in power. He says now we bear the likeness of the man from the dust of the earth, that's Adam, but one day we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven, that is Christ who has been glorified. So he says we currently bear the likeness of the earthly man. We shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. And in fact, This future glorification of believers is described in so many places in the New Testament. Romans 6 says that we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Romans 8 says that we will be conformed to the likeness of the Son. Philippians 3 says that he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Over and over and over, Scripture indicates that every single believer in Christ Jesus will one day receive a resurrected, glorified body. This body will be transformed into a resurrected body. So he says in 1 John 3, for example, but we know that when he appears, when's that? 
at the rapture of the church when Christ will appear in the clouds and gather his church to him, we shall be like him. We shall be glorified. We will be in glory. And so Colossians 3, 4, one more. Then you will appear with him in glory. In fact, we can have uh, what I call assurance of salvation, that once you are saved, once you are born again, you can know that you're born again for all of eternity. And one of the lines of thinking is because God has promised the resurrection of those who are his unconditionally so that once you're saved and born again, God says, oh, by the way, in a future date, you will be resurrected to glory. It's unconditional. Mm -hmm. It will happen. One might even call it predestined, which is exactly what Paul says in Romans 8 when he says we're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So our assurance of salvation is also part of this because God says this will happen if you are in Christ Jesus. The idea that we have a glorified body is such a wonderful truth that we will be like him in glory. Now, what does this glorified body look like? Well, we just went through some of the descriptions in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul describes or spends a whole chapter describing this resurrection of the body. But we also have about eight or so appearances of Jesus himself. After he rises from the tomb, he appears over a period of 40 days in his glorified body. Mm -hmm. So what were some of the characteristics of his body once he was raised? Well, the appearing, ones... Appearing in rooms without coming through the door? Yeah, that's that's a really cool trick, isn't I like it? that one, yeah. In fact, he's on the road to Emmaus. He's describing why the Christ needed to suffer these things that he suffered and then rise from the dead. And then suddenly he's gone from them, and the next we see him, he appears in a locked room with all of the disciples. Pretty neat trick. Yeah. So in some way, shape, or form the physical constraints that are on our physical body will not be on our glorified body. And yet those that loved him recognized him and touched him. They hugged him. They ate with him. They ate with him. That's really good news, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah, it is good news. <laughs> we will be able to eat in heaven, and I'm presuming that we'll never get fat. I presume. Yeah, I presume. I don't, I don't have a verse for that. Yeah, we'll find one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a verse for that, but I'm assuming no one will ever get fat, but we will eat. In fact, one of the first things we do in the, in the kingdom when Jesus returns and establishes his millennial kingdom on earth is what do we do? We eat. Mm -hmm. It's a great banquet. It's called the marriage supper of Christ, the marriage supper of the lamb. And uh, there will be a great banquet. And then, of course, at the end of those 40 days— Jesus is on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, and they watch him go up to heaven bodily, mm -hmm. physically, visibly, and is hidden by the clouds. Leaves the Mount of Olives and ascends into the clouds. He does. Sounds like a rapture. <laughs> it does. Yeah. In fact, that event is called Jesus's rapture. The Greek word for being caught up is harpazo. And in Revelation 12, that event is called his rapture. And so we too will be glorified and raptured, caught up together with him in the clouds. And there we will be, 
we will be with the Lord forever. That's chapter four. So we're going to get to that in a, in a couple few sessions here. This is all good news to me, Jeff. You know, it's, I said it earlier, I've read the back of the book and yeah. we got a lot of good news for people. Yeah, no kidding. Eternal life is a really big deal. Yeah, the best. All right, well said and, and well described, and I look forward to that to that beautiful time. And there's some questions that came in, Jeff. Should we tackle some of these? Sure. Um, let's see. Uh, this goes back to your discussion on spiritual battle. So are there any examples as to what action we take, if anything, aside from prayer? I cannot see that we are to be totally passive aside from prayer. Okay, like you went to the chiropractor, and then he prayed for you, etc. Sure. So prayer is a big weapon, right? So the best. And truth is another weapon. That's mm-hmm. the sword of the Spirit, and we stand firm. Others, this battle is hard to do alone. Remember, God says that two or a, a strand of two or three is not easily broken, so find other believers to do this battle. As other soldiers, you can stand next to other believers in this battle, shoulder to shoulder, with your shields and your swords. And just like the Roman soldiers, you got a group or squad of Roman soldiers together, all of their shields facing forward, they were formidable against any enemy. So don't do this Christianity stuff alone. Do it with others. And then, of course, I did talk about there are times, and I I know a number of people that have encountered demons, and in the authority and in the name of Jesus, they rebuked them and sent them off. And and that has happened, and that has worked. Um, There are many of other things. Uh, I know a number of people that when they're feeling spiritually attacked, they make sure they're playing worship music in their homes all the time. Mm, and I, I've had numbers of people say that, that they feel that that really works. So yeah, it's it's not necessarily passive to trust in the Lord. There's still things that you can do, but never forget it's by his power and his strength and his authority. Mm-hmm. Another question, Jeff Redorn, wouldn't it uh, be just the second coming? I think when people say rapture, they think it's like a pre-second coming. Would you agree? It's, it is pre the second coming. Um, so th- when we get to chapter 4, we will make a distinction between these two events. And one of the big distinctions is that the rapture, we see the church going from earth up into the air to meet the Lord in the air. And then at the second coming, we see Christ returning from heaven to earth, his feet will set on earth, and the armies of heaven were following him. So one of the f- key distinctions, and we'll get to this more, but one of the key distinctions is just the direction of travel. Mm-hmm. At the rapture, we see the church, the bride, going up to meet her bridegroom, and at the end of the tribulation, of the second coming, we see Christ returning with the armies of heaven following him. And we'll talk more and more about the distinction of these two events as we go through Thessalonians. All right. We'll take a short break, and then we'll continue our study in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 with Jeff Verdorn. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you're enjoying this. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. 
First Thessalonians chapter 2, that's our topic today. Jeff Verdorn is our teacher, and we're just wrapping up verses 19 and 20. Jeff, I want to go back to 19, for it says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory? Let's just focus on the word crown. What, what are we supposed to know about that? Yeah, so Scripture indicates that all Christians receive a crown. We receive a crown at what is called the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. This picture in Scripture is uh, in heaven, and it's after the rapture of the church. Jesus says in Revelation 22, for example, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me. So when he comes and to receive the body of Christ to himself, his bride to himself, he says, my reward is with me. And so this is a reference to the rapture, which is going to happen suddenly without warning. Uh, He is going to uh, sound that trumpet and we're going to be caught up to heaven. The rapture occurs... um, prior to the seven-year tribulation that has come. And we see, and also in Revelation, when John in Revelation chapter 4 is on earth, and then it says he is caught up into heaven. He hears a voice like an angel and a trumpet call, and he's caught up to heaven, and symbolizing, I believe, the rapture of the church. And then the events of the tribulation take place. But what he sees is what I want to focus on here. He sees 24 elders in heaven, which in some way, shape, or form, I believe signifies or represents the church. They already have their crowns in heaven prior to all the events of the revelation taking place. So this comes right after John is caught up, symbolizing the rapture, and he sees these 24 elders, and they already have crowns. So I believe the Bema will be in heaven. Bema, again, is just judgment seat. It comes from Corinthians, both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Uh, For example, 2 Corinthians 5 says this, that we as believers must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what they've done in the body, whether good or evil. Now remember, all are judged, believers and unbelievers, Unbelievers are judged at what is called in Scripture the great white throne judgment. This is a judgment unto condemnation and to the lake of fire. It says at the end of Revelation that those who appear before this great white throne judgment, their names are not found in the Lamb's book of life, and they are thrown into the lake of fire. We, however, as believers, our names are in the Lamb's book of life. And so our judgment is not a quote-unquote judgment per se. It's Think of it more as a reward ceremony. The Bema was a, a, a specific physical place in Corinth. So here Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He knew that they understood what the Bema was. And the Bema was a raised stone platform in which people would make public addresses, there'd be debates, and people would be recognized or awarded for things that they have done. In fact, we get the idea of athletes standing on podiums from the Bema where they would place crowns, wreath crowns, on an athlete's head who won athletic competitions. Mm -hmm. And that's where that symbolism comes from, although we use medals now instead of crowns at the Olympics. So this is not a judgment for sin. And specifically, all of our sinful acts, all of our unrighteous acts, all of our unfruitfulness, 1 Corinthians 3 says, will be burned up. 
This is how God describes it. Our work, believer's work, will be shown for what it is, because that day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive reward. So the picture is our good deeds that we did in Christ will survive that testing and we will be rewarded. Everything else burned up. Now, I like to point out that many, uh, many, it is commonly taught that at the Bema, when all the believers are there, we will somehow take turns appearing up on the front of the stage and Jesus will start a movie of our entire lives. Now, that I just don't think is the picture that Paul paints here. He says the bad is burned up. I had a student once that they told me after I taught about this that she'd been a Christian for 40 years and had been dreading the judgment seat of Christ because she was dreading the day that her whole life would appear before all of heaven. Well, if God doesn't even count our sins against us, if he separated our sins as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more, why would he display them on a giant movie screen in heaven. Why would ugly sin be on display in heaven? It, it wouldn't be. No. It's burned up. And that's the picture from 1 Corinthians 3. I like that. So what remains is what we will be rewarded for. Now, here's the rub. What can we produce in terms of righteous fruit? And the answer is really nothing. But God can produce that fruit in us As we, as the branch, abide in the vine, he will bear much fruit, right? Mm -hmm. I think the picture of what we will be rewarded for is as we have trusted in him, as we have put our faith in him, as we have abided in him, he then can bear the fruit in and through us. And I think that is what we are going to be rewarded for, is actually his righteousness working in and through us. Mm -hmm. His work through us is what we're going to be celebrating. Correct. Because what else is there to celebrate? Some trophy we got in 10th grade? (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. Nothing. It's It's all rubbish. It is. It's all rubbish. Whatever work he does through us. So I think we see that when John goes to heaven, like I was mentioning earlier in in Revelation chapter 4, he sees the 24 elders and it says, whenever... The, the creatures around the throne sing praises to God. They take their crowns and they lay them at the feet of Jesus. And I think we're going to do that in recognition of, it's like saying, Christ, you gave me this crown. You rewarded me for this good works, but it's really your righteousness Amen. that worked in and through me. Amen. And I'm going to lay this crown back at your feet. Amen. That makes perfect sense. Doesn't it? It does to me. Now, I have a good friend, Greg Steer. He runs a ministry called Dare to Share, and he taught on this one time, and he, he pointed out this little this little fact. It says in Revelation that whenever the living creatures give glory to God, the 24 elders lay their crowns at their feet. In other words, it looks like this is something that is going to go on and on and on. We'll do it over and over again, which means, he points out, that we're probably going to go need to go over and pick up our crowns and put them on. And he said, you know, I think this crown will be our treasured possession of ours 
for all of eternity yeah. because Christ gave it to us. And I, I kind of like that, uh, that it will be a treasured possession, but we will also recognize that really it's Christ who should be the one receiving the reward. All right, here's a quick question, Jeff. Uh, this, I believe, comes from 1 Corinthians 6. That said, uh, the scripture that says stomachs will be done away with. Uh, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. So what about these stomachs in heaven and all these good food, all this good food we're going to be eating? Well, now you're now you're asking a question about the anatomy of a glorified body, and I, I just I don't have an answer. Now, I think the passage in 1 Corinthians 6 is basically saying uh, how we should live our lives right now and whether mm-hmm. or not food is important to being godly or not, and uh, the answer is no. The kingdom of heaven is not about food, right? So, but I, but I know that in glory, Jesus on the shores of uh, the Sea of Galilee with Peter took some of the fish that he caught, and they cooked it and they ate it, and he was in a glorified body. Mm-hmm. Imagine what it's going to be like this glorified body. I can say something like, "Jeff, look at that eagle twenty nine miles away." <laughs> Isn't that and, beautiful? And you'd probably be able to see it. You might be able to <laughs> zoom over to it. Yeah. And it won't be afraid of you. Remember, the animal kingdom in eternity will be much more like it was in the Garden of Eden, where yeah. man and animal coexisted perfectly. Yeah, so good. All right, Jeff, thank you so much. I guess uh, I will see you Thursday for God Talk. Perfect. According to my uh, my plan. I'll see you. Awesome. All right, thank you so much, uh, Jeff Fedorin. Dr. Glenn Pickering have been my guest today. If you have missed any of it or you like Jeff's teaching, I just got a nice comment. I'm so enjoying this teaching as I'm out picking raspberries today. Thank you so much for the encouragement. Isn't that nice, Jeff? Very. I love picking raspberries. Really? I used to grow raspberries at my old house and I just love doing it. Awesome. And uh, if so if you missed any of today's show, you can always go visit the website, myfaithradio.com. And we have a show page. It's Afternoons with Bill Arnold. And you can uh, hear the podcast there. It'll be up shortly. Have a great night, everyone. Thank you for uh, being with me. However much time you were able to spend, I loved being with you. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.